Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. As always, please subscribe and share. We once again have the utmost pleasure in having on Professor Robert Thurman. He is a talented popularizer of the Buddhist teachings and the first Westerner to be ordained by His Holiness the Dalai Lama as a Tibetan Buddhist monk. A charismatic speaker and author of many books on Tibet, Buddhism, art, politics, and culture, Professor Thurman was named by the New York Times as the leading American expert on Tibetan Buddhism and was awarded the prestigious Padma Shri Award in 2020 for his help in recovering India's ancient Buddhist heritage. Time Magazine chose him as one of the 25 most influential Americans in 1997, describing him as a larger-than-life scholar-activist destined to convey the Dharma, the prestigious teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha from Asia all the way to America. His own search for enlightenment began while he was a university student at Harvard. After an accident in which he lost the use of an eye, Professor Thurman left school on a spiritual quest throughout Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. He eventually found his way to India, where he first saw His Holiness the Dalai Lama. After learning Tibetan and studying Buddhism, Professor Thurman became a Tibetan Buddhist monk, and some years later, however, offered up his robes when he realized he could be more effective in the American equivalent of a monastery, the university, and thus returned to Harvard to finish his PhD. A quote from Professor Thurman, I invite you to embrace a new reality. I invite you to awaken to the infinite life you already have, no matter what your worldview. I invite you to take up responsibility for your own destiny. I invite you to take advantage of your priceless humanness to make a definitive turn towards ultimate security, complete freedom, and unbounded happiness. In this episode of Jin and Tantra, we discuss Professor Thurman's new book, Wisdom is Bliss, and the link can be found in the description of this video if you are interested in purchasing it. We do a sort of verbal Rorschach test with Professor Thurman and get his thoughts on a wide variety of topics in the book and so much more, including the importance of education and the suffering of change, experiencing all gain and no pain, having fun on the spiritual path, happiness pushing people away from positions of power, the orgasmic potency, and some plans for West Virginia. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. You to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow and tears, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. Well, as you will know from the intro to the episode, we are once again joined by, I'm going to say, both the blissfully wise and wisely blissful Robert Thurman, <laughs> Professor Thurman. This time, discuss his new book, Bl Wisdom is Bliss. Uh, so great to see you again, uh, Professor Thurman. That's right. Um, Wisdom is bliss. Uh, there it is. Yeah. Really, it really is bliss, too. I'm so happy. They, they, my editor, wonderful uh, editor at uh, Hay House, she had it come out. The publication date was my 80th birthday. Oh, fantastic. So it was a really great birthday present to see it finally come out. So, um, Okay. So we read so it all. Uh, we read it all. Wise and wise, blissful. But actually, I'm I'm some often I'm not blissful, and often I'm stupid. But other than that, especially when I talk about it, I get a little bit blissful and a little bit wise. Well, the the book I talk is myself full of it. into it. Full of all kinds of wisdom and bliss. So it's a fascinating book, and it was an interesting thing. Daniel and I both finished it, and uh, you know, we you were reading did. away. I'm so good. We felt did like you, students. Did, we were back yeah. in the day being students in our, our in our undergrad years, reading away like mm -hmm. crazy, like crazy, and, getting uh, ready for the book report. Yeah, 
and it's 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 a it's a fascinating book. It's you know an authentic uh, presentation and explanation of the Buddhist eightfold path, but then you sort of use it as a vehicle and a starting off point to present what I see as a vision for spirituality for modern people overall. So it's really right. wonderful. And then, you know, you talk about, uh, for, for our purposes, to talk about the entire Eightfold Path in one conversation, even if we were to talk about, you know, one of the Eightfold Path would probably eat up a whole episode. So we thought what we would do is just throw out some of the key words, I think, and concepts in the book. Daniel described it as a spiritual Rorschach test. We'll throw you some words <laughs> and you can okay. share your impressions and experiences of those words. And uh, that would be a way of doing the interview. So, all right. What struck me is the title, and I have to say, you, you know, you're saying wisdom is bliss. I'm so immersed in this Buddhist uh, worldview that I was like, okay, yeah, wisdom is bliss. I, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, I stared at it for a week, you know, without it hitting me that, wait a minute, this is a play on words of ignorance is bliss. <laughs> the classic American phrase, like it didn't even occur to me that there was a play on words there. And uh, then it hit me, oh, that's really clever because my feeling of American culture a lot of times is there's this attitude of don't look too close at anything. Just don't look too close. Kind of like the old William Burroughs book, Naked Lunch. Don't look too close what's on the plate. Just keep your eyes closed. Yeah. And I was wondering how you thought about that because the title seemed to me then to be invitation to ask people to like overcome that resistance of looking close and now really start looking in a more, I think one of your other favorite words is realistic way. That's right. That's right. Realism. They thought for a while that they would make that the title because that's one of my slogans, you could say, is that Buddhism is realism. And that is the way I understand it because what Buddha's message to the world was from his own attainment is that reality itself is bliss. And therefore, it's wisdom that knows that reality by becoming it. And that's why wisdom is bliss. In other words, that's a, but what's the problem that I'm addressing here in, in writing this book in this way, which is a little bit going out on a limb in the Buddhist world, which is why I say it's not really about Buddhism, this book. It's more about Buddhism. You know, I'm very, and I'm very, I mean that because A, the Dalai Lama, I follow him. And uh, he's my teacher and friend since 60, almost 60 years now, 57 actually. And uh, exactly. And um, he is a, against the idea that anybody should convert anybody to anything. Because being a nominally belonging to this or to that is not that particularly helpful necessarily. Unless you belong to where you grew up at, and then it might be helpful that you belong because it makes your friends and relatives and grandma particularly happy, you know, that you're still wherever she thinks you should be, wherever she is. Well, that's and why so I confirmed says, in Catholicism. That was for my grandma. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. so he says, he says, just keep your, everyone should keep their grandmother's religion. Mm. And, but they can, everyone should educate themselves on the other hand. And you can, and different, different traditions that are thought of as religious often have curricula for educate to educate yourself and the secular humanism which he considers a world religion of one billion followers approximately you know sort of non-religious who they call themselves non-religious therefore they're secular he can, but he considers their own calling to be a, a religion really you know adopted with that same fervor that people adopt a religion although it's an ideology and he thinks they should keep that one if that's good for them but all but all in all should be educated and then the Buddhist tradition came from Buddha's own original Buddhism on that morning when he attained enlightenment, when he said he had discovered that reality itself is bliss. It is deathless. It is, it is uncreated. It's always been that way. It's just a gas. You know, he just <laughs> really James Brown is in, in an entertaining mode. He said exactly what Buddha said, you know. I feel good, and I knew that I would. <laughs> and, and that's what Buddha really said. But then, then he said, well, you know, folks, like Socrates said, he said, the unenlightened life, when you don't know what you do, what you are, who you are, where you are, and why you are, when you don't know that, then you're actually going to be unhappy. And you're not going to be happy because you won't be satisfied. You'll have pleasure, 
what you call pleasure, but then you won't be happy because it won't last. It's called the suffering of change in his way. Yeah. And you also, it won't be enough. You, you will think of some better way it could have been and you'll be dissatisfied with it. So he said, and, but then people, unfortunately, they fastened on that one and they said, oh, Buddhist. Oh yeah, they want you to be miserable. Uh, you know, that's yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. Buddhist thing. Mm -hmm. And I recently read someone, I won't say the name, but very wonderful, lovely person who knows, studied a lot of different religions and has her own kind of view of things very helpful and sweet and pleasant one love is it and so on but somehow think and has a lot of buddhist friends but somehow thinks that what buddha discovered is that you have to annihilate yourself you extinguish yourself what nirvana is is you just let go of everything and you're gone you're extinguished and that's so wrong that's so absolutely not correct you know what struck me in the book gets uh, extinguished is no. suffering gets extinguished you when you discover the reality suffering is gone you realize that suffering is an illusion and um and uh, that the play of illusion and that doesn't mean you leave the world of suffering in the sense that other people who you care about are still there so you haven't extinguished yourself at all you become in fact everything you feel that you are everything and you do that in a blissful way and the way you do that is you not just with your conceptual mind because the other neat thing about buddha was he said i feel great i really do and i know everything but i'm so sorry i can't explain it to you he said that because it's inexpressible it's such a surprise you just can't imagine amazing grace you know they say you know and that's right it is amazing grace it's so amazing that you never would have expected that you could be that blissful, you know. But well, now the key is how do you how do you get it? You melt into it. You you know where you don't get it, it gets you. But when it gets you, it doesn't extinguish you. It kindles you to infinite life. Mm. And that's what uh, you know. There is a view that some Buddhists even have that somehow they're just seeking extinction. Because human beings have a strong escapist streak, you know, when they're sensitive and they're bothered about things, you know, they kill themselves or they, they seek extinction. Certain kinds of soporific drugs who are addicted to them, they're trying to annihilate their consciousness, you know. And of course, when you're being drilled, you want to be unconscious, you know, when, some of the, when the dentist is drilling, you know. So that's normal pain we really don't like. But uh, there is, but reality is there's no pain no pain and everything is gained though no pain and everything gained that's the thing well, it's really fascinating because one of the other words that jumped out in the book for me is definitely like fun and i wrote it yeah. in my notes with like an exclamation point <laughs> so <laughs> this is the idea that like you know yeah. you're you're, well, you're that's really the thing. You explain know, this idea of fun i have another friend who shall be unnamed but is a wonderful guy and he was really going off lately he has in his writing he's a writer on joy and he's really got joy and he loves it and it's great joy is really great but then he was ranking on fun he was like oh who needs fun as a child oh that's fundamentalism and that blah, blah. he was going on about fun but then oh. he was going on talking about the joy of children well when are they joyful when they have fun yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know i decided i was going to rehabilitate fun but I, well also i'm fun loving so so that's the thing <laughs> why 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 do we have to do without fun Naturally, was, we will. And that's was, a way of helping people cheer up. You know, another title I thought of, but the problems are just like it, is I get too vulgar, I can't even say that. But it's, it's a, it has an acronym, CTFU. That's the acronym. And the first two words are cheer the... <laughs> that's my message. Cheer the... Yeah. Exclamation oh. point at the end. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, here's the thing. We're having a terrible time. We have lunatics in power all over the world, not just in our own government. And we have, you know, there's a few good people, but they're drowned out by the loonies. And um, although we're trying to change that now, which is we should. But the point is, and then all the countries, you know, but that's only because the happier people are not power hungry. So they don't tend to become the leaders. 
The leaders are miserable people who think they'll be happy if they control everybody else and prevent anybody else from having more fun than them. And meanwhile, they can't have fun because they're so uptight. And so therefore they rise to the power and then they ruin everything. So we somehow we have to have, I, we need people who are having a good time, but who cheerily want to help those really unhappy people retire and go okay. cheer up themselves by not having big responsibility, which they don't know how to wield for the benefit of anyone, even themselves. Mm. So, so that's my theory of why we're really in a good place on the planet because the there are so many more happy people, but, but uh, we're, 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 that's, that's hidden from us by the fact that the leadership everywhere is a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> who are really well, frustrated and they and they've reached this pinnacles of power you know like they have billion dollar mansions down on the black sea or they have they live in the old chinese emperor's you know the country club <laughs> they and meanwhile they're even more miserable than ever so then they cause more problems this kind of like fits into some of the american idea of like retirement and almost waiting until you retire to then start living your life you know like you work exactly. your entire life just to be happy at the last you know few years and that everything else before that's kind of a slog and all of a sudden now i have all the time in the world but most people haven't cultivated anything within themselves maybe they have a hobby or maybe not that's you right. know and they can retire and meanwhile some corporate raider probably has come in and trashed their pension fund <laughs> And they go back to like working like that woman. And what was that movie? That lady living in a trailer who had little jobs in, in, a, in a Walmart or in, a, in an Amazon warehouse. Oh, yeah. I forgot the name of that movie. Hanging out in, this in the desert out there in Arizona. It came out last year, I believe. Yeah, that was that was a really like the nomad. Nomads. Nomads. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one yet. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a brilliant thing, really. But so, so, so there was no pension fund for her. So she didn't have a retirement, you know. But, she found a little community out in the desert briefly, you know, but that's that's a terrible situation because of the, of again these unhappy people think that they'll be happy when they have billions of dollars, and then they prove how miserable they are because the minute they get that billion many billions, they lose their family, you know, because they think that's not fun enough, and then they leave for Mars. And they're planning to go up there and they're going to have french fries with Matt Damon in a Quonset hut. <laughs> they're, not, they're not serving french fries to their employees, but they're going to have french fries themselves. And, you know, Matt Damon was growing potatoes there, right? While he was waiting for the rescue. Yeah, I think... Yeah, shit, potatoes. shit potatoes is the is the right the right term, you know. <laughs> is that what they called them? <laughs> well, because he needed to use his feces in order for fertilizer in that movie. Oh, so. really? oh yeah. My God. That so I missed I missed that part. Yeah. And well, at least they'll nice be. Soil, you know, that's what that was. That's the Chinese agricultural specialty. You know. Well, at least there'll nice be some uh, use for like those people's bullshit. Now they'll that's have right. use for it, right? That's they'll right. Use for their shit. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> So what struck me in the anyway, book, uh, Professor the, Thurman, uh, no, was... Nobody has taught Buddhism uh, as really fun and happiness, and you don't even have to join as a religion. And that's the key thing. And, you, you know, you can keep with grandma's religion, but you can help her lighten it up. Do you know what I mean? As well, once you learn a little something about how your mind works, you can lighten it up. It struck me that there's kind of a ground path result part of what you're saying there too, that in a way, you know, this is kind of a Buddhist way of framing things, right? The ground, the path, and the result. Well, yeah. And it, it's kind of saying like the ground itself is this sea of bliss and you use different That's terms it. through that That's throughout the, the book. The That's the ground. Equation. And the exactly. result will be eventually you'll get it. You don't get it now, but you'll get it someday. Yes. And then there's a path in between to connect those things. And I have to say that like, that's its own bliss and fun too, in the sense that you get to learn about yourself and the people around you and yeah. what the meaning of things are. And there's a joy in that. Yeah, and I don't know if that's always presented that way. Fantastic. They're yeah. amazing. People are, if you take time to really observe them and really see their own inner wisdom and inner like contentment and inner like solid, you know, like, stability and stuff people are just amazing they really are incredible and we and, you know, normally I, just rush by them you know know their name and then we don't look twice you know 
I, I was reflecting on my own experience with this. When I first started practicing, my first experiences were in Zen. And I had some yes, great Zen right. masters from Japan that I studied with. Wonderful. I love Zen. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting, though, because when I look back at my own psychology, as I was reading your book, I was thinking about this. And I was going, you know, this, I wasn't thinking about this as fun. It became fun as I did it. <laughs> but there yes. was a part of me that almost felt like an odd American guilt. I felt like all my other friends are off working their hard jobs and doing their hard things. And I felt like this vaguely guilty feeling like I should be out in some corporate setting feeling crappy. <laughs> And here oh, I am, yeah. almost like a little, I felt some odd feeling of guilt or something. It was strange looking back. And I, I did feel kind of a bodhicitta. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to try to do this so I can help other people. I had right. some of that feeling, you right. know, and that helped me feel less Absolutely. guilty. <laughs> but I felt, I felt a little spirit, guilty. Spirit of enlightenment. Yeah. You know, I don't mind people using the word bodhicitta, but what drives me crazy is that English speaking people write bodhicitta. And oh. nobody will say cha unless they're Italian. <laughs> they're going to say bodhicitta or bodhicitta. And yet they won't put an H there because in Sanskrit transliteration, you're supposed to just put a C uh, because there is a CH where you aspirate, yep. you practically spit to say that. <laughs> but, but it is just, a, you know, anyway, never mind. So, spirit of enlightenment, yeah, good for you. That's really great, Eric. So, you did good Zen. And you had yeah. a few Satoris there, the guilt Satori, and you had <laughs> another the corporate office Satori. <laughs> That's really good. Well, it was sort of interesting because I don't know how you how often you feel like you see that in students, but there was this little feeling like I'm not being, you know, I'm not doing what the, you know, what maybe what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not, know. you know, and so. Is that something you, you see Americans experiencing? Is that something you feel like you see in students? They yes, feel a well, that's guilt? part of the cheer up. I can't tell you how many people just lately I've met who are doing different things. You know, I'm about to open, I've been very dawdling the last step, but I'm about to open a Substack account to make a newsletter ah. to people, you know? Nice. And then all the people helping me and a lot of people that I knew, meet and knew, they've just quit their job. Everyone has quit their job. You know, they're giving all this extra unemployment benefit and so forth, but then it's over now, but people are not coming back to whatever kind of regular road work they were doing. And, mm -hmm. and they're somehow that they're looking for more, they've, they've had a retreat, what I call the coronapocalypse, corona, corona apocalypse. They've had the corona apocalypse and they've been on a retreat and they looked for their bigger purpose in living and they want to be lit, they want to live. So they're not rushing back, you know, some have to temporarily but then they want to stay and work from home you know they, it's like really we really had a change here thanks to this what has been a catastrophe of course for those who lost their life prematurely that's really terrible but on the other hand it really is bad and it was unnecessary and all that but but on the other hand for everyone else it's been a wonderful retreat and a rediscovery of what life is about in a way well, you mentioned uh, Viktor Frankl in your book at one point, you know, the great, was that? you mentioned Viktor Frankl in your book at one point, the great, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned him in the book. And it's, it's interesting, because he's talking really about meaning. And we've like done yes. episodes of the podcast on him. And, you know, I think yes. that's what you're talking about there. I think it's a lot of people had this time to self reflect. And it's partially mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I'm enjoying my life. So that's the fun part. But it was yeah. also maybe the part where you're like, I don't know if I'm finding this meaningful anymore. The things that seem meaningful don't seem meaningful anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. a little silver a silver lining in a cloud, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah he's that he of course he was in a concentration camp. What a yeah. terrible situation he was in. But he found the meaning in being alive there, and uh, and living there anyway, and standing up for his own inner freedom. You know, that's why he, how he made it yeah. through. You know. And um, that's really, I really admire such people. I don't think I could make it. I would really freak out. Well, he even I, talks I mean, about. I just, I just don't think I have that kind of guts, you know. Although one thing I can say, what I, one thing that I've come, since I, since I see uh, Buddha as a scientist who discovered that the nature of life is bliss and that the energy, the, the vital energy that is our health and life is a bliss energy that we all have. And uh, cultures tend to suppress it in us in order to make us more manageable and hide death from us so that they'll get us working away in some treadmill, you know, a version of, of, uh, of duty. And, uh, 
And Buddha rebelled against it and he said, no, everyone has the right not only to pursue happiness, but to be happy. And they can find it because that is their reality. And when they find that within their reality, they become naturally loving, they're naturally helpful to others, and they will naturally do whatever it takes to keep the you know, society going and people fed and you know, you know, avoid violence with others and so on. And uh, so there's a much better way of going about it. And he's, that view has been gradually, gradually prevailing slowly against all the military crazies, male chauvinist, patriarchal societies everywhere. And finally, we're getting close to something really great, I personally think. And, you know, in the Tibetan prediction, Indian and Tibetan prediction, it's about only 400 more years to go. <laughs> like right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> to go. And we'll be past Armageddon, you know, and the type of Armageddon type of thing, Armageddon being like hundreds of years long of different world wars and things. And But I don't agree with that. I think they're hiding the date. I think it's going to be maybe 30, 40 years, basically. I think it's or very, or even sooner. Actually, in the 60s, I thought it was next week. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. This is your. Uh, this now is your, I think maybe a few more years, but you know maybe what Kurzweil calls the the singularity, you know, but instead of being downloaded into robots, which would be really boring, <laughs> he would never be saying that if he ever watched Doctor Who. Would you oh, with know the uh, with the little ex exterminate, exterminate. What nonsense being downloaded into robots? Who wants to do that? Instead, the uh, the Cybermen too. That was the other big villain, right? That That's like horrible. the two villains are that. Villains. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Who is really has to deal with all these fantasies of these engineers, you know, who want to uh, engineer themselves some sort of immortality, which is crazy, you know. Although although they, you might be able to do it if you become hyper conscious and you can go through death, retaining your your continuum of joyfulness and happiness and lovingness. And nonviolent, sort of gentle interconnectedness, and you can, you know, and that's what that's 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 a good thing about the Buddhist education, super educations, as you as I put in the book, right? Mm -hmm. The three super educations. That's what I have in there. But you know, so anyway, I I I love this. I really like my subtitle too: the four friendly fun facts. Oh, that's the kind of thing about the the, the reframing the. Uh... What's that? reframing the four noble truths that everyone associates with suffering and let's flip it and make it into something that seems more uh, fun and friendly. Fun facts. Yeah, yeah. I learned about fun facts recently from a friend of mine who was the CEO of a toy company, his own toy company that he founded. And then he retired, semi-retired by becoming the executive chairman. Uh, and there was a dinner where everybody had to tell their fun fact, which I had never done. And I didn't know if I even had one with that. <laughs> So I was waiting to see what little people would say. And then he said, well, I want you to, well, my fun fact, he said, is that I'm the executive chairman of my company. And everybody's looking, what's fun about that? Then he said, well, the thing is, unless you think that's not fun, what you should know is to be the executive chairman of a company, even one that you founded, he said, is like presiding over a cemetery. There are many people below you and no one is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? I just love it. I, my fun fact was not nearly that good, so I decided I'm going to write my fun fact. And uh, I was already working on uh, at the time. Uh, my working title for this book was "Buddhas Have More Fun." Uh, not Buddhists. Not Buddhists. I know so many grim Buddhists mm -hmm. who think that 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 nirvana is misery, misery embraced. But but no. It's a, uh, but, uh, but, uh, well, so Professor Thurman, who does have more fun? How did you break out of that for yourself? Did you have any of that feeling at the beginning of oh, Buddhism as some no, kind of almost no, stoic really. thing I, I, I was going to slog through? I had a challenge from a friend of mine who, who has passed away, again, who should be our name, very good friend, really wonderful guy, artist, and had a lot of fun himself in the 60s, as some of us did. And, uh, he said to me, oh, Nirvana, who wants it? He said, the, the bliss, the fun is when you're a little bit tense and uptight, and then you break free of that, and it's the release that is the bliss. Mm. And so if you're permanently released, well, that's boring, he said. And he actually had an image for it. He said, it would be like the entire universe, all of life, was just one big giant jar of Vaseline. <laughs> 
so I lived I lived my Buddhist studies for 40 years since then under the challenge of that thing about maybe it's not more fun to be nirvana maybe it's some sort of extra extrapolation from fun into some sort of ultimate thing that's really beyond fun and no fun or something rather than fun and so I was waiting you know I didn't have an answer and then I finally you know maybe 20 years ago I, I kind of got that I got this one clue you see because a Buddha is defined as someone who masters death and who discovers that death is where, where, when death occurs, is where you touch the full blast of the life force. And it's more than a particular body can manage. And of course, it usually happens to people when their body can't even manage walking around. But, but you know, the, the idea that we're going to be just inside our little skin and our sense anchor of our sense experiences, and then we're going to control what's around us to make it nice. And then, and then keep away any really horrible like a bombs or hurricanes or tornadoes or whatever it might be, uh, you know, terrorists or or regular idiots. And um, but that's really a losing proposition in the long run, you know. And uh, and so when what death is defined as in the Buddhist science, in in the science developing from these enlightened people, is where you release from the body and you feel. The full force of the life force is everything that made your body and everybody. And the more you've sort of prepared yourself for that, then you don't be frightened. The ordinary person is frightened and wants immediately to resume control. And then they go into the bardo, as the Tibetans talk about, you know, and where they're trying to find another similar body to the old one. And, uh, but, the, but the people who are the Buddha, who's, who's you know, concentrated on opening up, giving it up, letting go. And they let go of everything, then they become everything. Then they are one with everything. And then it's not just then a lot of people mistakenly think it's you become everything and you find that everything is nothing but just vast empty space. Because they would have oh, mentioned yeah. emptiness. <clears throat> yeah. And they think you're just all alone in empty space. And then you don't feel guilty about your friends still in the corporate thing, because in some way you're not even there. <laughs> the whole so thing is an illusion bad. so don't worry about you know, it it's you, you one big illusion them out, you know because yeah. you, you're you're kind of not there you're just like infinity yeah. and that's a great experience but that's not the final thing because that's that's pure freedom in a way it's an experience of pure freedom and there's a release when you reach it but then because you bring a momentum with you of reflective self-awareness Although it's sort of suppressed when you first blast out, but then you need to get free from freedom, and then wow. you have to you barrel right on through, and then suddenly everything is back, and everyone is back, but now there's no barrier between you and all of it. You're in the vast interconnectedness of all of it, and so then I I was stuck. Well, maybe that's so boring because it's just all one flat thing or something, you know. But then I realized, wait a minute, no, because so many of the people you love and you discover you love a lot more that you knew you love that that they are not enjoying it that same way they don't feel completely free where they are so then you realize you 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 have the ability you're there with everyone in every place and of course it's an unimaginable degree of you know it's actually it's a the only illustration of it that i can resort to was in a star trek movie where Frank Converse, he was the actor, and he was acting the lieutenant somebody, and they encountered this computer, giant computer that had gone berserk called Viger. They called Viger, yeah, that's Star Trek One. Viger. Oh, that one was. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think it's Star Trek One. Viger, and Viger wants to know everything because that was its mission, you know, its its purpose, and and but it's devouring everything to know it, you know, and it's destroying everything. But she has a nice voice, you know, Viger. Yeah, she's very, very pretty too. I think the actress who ends up being Viger's voice, yeah, very charming, pretty actress. I'm going to eat your spaceship. I'm going to eat the planet Earth and the home base of the Federation in San Francisco, in the in the in the in the that that wonderful place on the near the Golden Gate Bridge, and but it's nothing personal. I just want to know what it is, and the one thing I don't know is what it's like to be human. And they said, well, wait, if we can give you that knowledge. 
will you then leave the earth alone and you won't have to devour anything? Yeah, oh yeah, sure, I'll be fine. So then Frank Commerce, which was the name of the actor who was a friend of mine. Oh, okay. I remember it. And um, we had worked together in Martha's in, in Nantucket in a restaurant in, in the summer, years before. <laughs> and Frank said, he volunteered, Captain Kirk, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I will merge with the computer and then she can know me. And then Spock says, no, no, I'll do a Vulcan mind up. No, she didn't want Spock in his Vulcan mind. That's what not happened. She wants to know what he meant to be human. No, I'll merge. It's, it's okay. I don't know what will happen to it, but I'll merge. So then he goes over and he sort of hugs Vidur. I don't remember what was the actual posture. <laughs> love making. He makes love with Vidur, basically. Oh, he probably does. That's probably true. <laughs> I don't know what he does, but he embraces her and she embraces him. And then there's this like, the thing she dissolves into the vastness in joy and sort of there's a there's a voice like bye now i know it's raid i won't bother anybody and but unfortunately frank gives up his his previous life but he says don't worry guys i'm happy too <laughs> that's a very like uh, of a tantric story <laughs> that's that's what it's like okay now wait now wait so that's what's like so, uh, P Professor Furman, I just have to give away the punchline. Viger is uh, the movie's forty years old or something. It's Voyager. It's the right, it's the right. it's the satellite that went out, and it yeah, just like you find at the end, it's like the the letters that's are right, missing. Twenty third or twenty fourth century. That's right. That's right. So my point is, that's what enlightenment is like: the merging between a supercomputer and a human in a loving embrace, and then sort of feeling yourself to be everywhere and in the bliss of everything. But then that awareness of everything includes being aware that others are not that happy. So then, and there's a, there seems to be an endless supply of them and then uncountable. So then the fun is helping them find their release. And so yeah. then I finally had the answer to my old friend with his jar of Vaseline <laughs> that there's more fun because there are more other people who are miserable and you Buddhas have more fun making them have fun. Because yeah, you can't sense. make them have fun. That's the problem. You can't make people have fun. Because if you try to make them, then they will resist and they'll get more uptight. You can only do whatever it takes, whichever dance, whatever artistic work, whatever anything it takes to get them to feel safe enough to kind of open up their own inner softness, their own inner streaming, as uh, their, their orgasmic potency, as Wilhelm Reich would call it, who I also refer to in the book a lot, right? Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. And Wilhelm Reich, you know, the, he wrote, he's the famous writer of the function of the orgasm and what he calls orgasmic potency, which is not the same as the ordinary genitally organized orgasm. It's something more, it's total, the whole body, you know, brain and throat and heart and navel, as well as the as well as the active parts, you know? And, and so uh, he, without being a yogi and without knowing tantric yoga or anything, Wilhelm Reich somehow sussed that out by some natural ability he had or awareness that he had. Anyway, point is, so that's the more fun, you see, too. I, so I finally was ready to answer my friend that more fun is everybody else's fun, you know, yeah, which yeah. you become the sort of catalyst for. You can't make them have fun. If you tried to bliss bomb other beings, that would harm them because they would resist the flood of big bliss energy. You know, they, they wouldn't see it as bliss. They would see it as invasive, you know. That was one of uh, Wilhelm Reich's points that like that kind of bliss feels overwhelming to people and they just yeah. don't, they're almost like overloaded circuits. They don't have the ability yeah. to handle it. So they'll, 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 they'll flinch. That's you know? right. So you that's can't right, because, force it on people. And then they'll mm -hmm. kill the source of it, you know, that his yeah. great emotional plague theory. Yeah. That because they are, they have been, indoctrinated and and they have been kind of coerced by the culture some militaristic culture or some male chauvinist dominating power oriented culture and they've been to sort of shut down their inner sensitivity that the human being has you know where and so they and he has a brilliant thing like the military posture you jam your chin into your neck you suck in the diaphragms so you can't feel anything there and you you rip your pelvis back in a in a sort of version of upright upright posture so that you don't feel point is not to feel fear for the military yeah. person but then you can oh. also feel the streaming of genuine melting in a loving embrace with someone so you can't enjoy it and then when you meet someone who is radiating that aura of orgasmic potency like a christ figure or somebody then then that makes you have these 
inner streamings that make you feel like you're maybe going to pee in your pants or something, you're going to lose control of things. And then you freak out and you want to destroy that person, you know. You know, I have to mis- say some mystic. He, he, that's a brilliant thing of his. You know, he, I have to yeah. say, Doctor Thurman, I, you're you're reading my notes here because I wanted to talk about the emotional plague, but also oh, I have good. to say that, like, as an academic person, I stick that book, Function of the Orgasm, in every class I can. Anytime oh, I can yeah, have an excuse to include it, he really I'll stick was it in. the greatest. You know, he really yeah. was the greatest, and he, and and he he ran into this sort of fascism everywhere, McCarthyite fascism in America, Hitlerite in Germany, and Leninite in in Russia, and uh, he thought at first Russia, the, the Russian Revolution would lead to like people opening up, doing yogas and things, and then they they just completely betrayed that fake promise, you know. But they're by because of the violence, you know. The violence is the end of it, you know. Anyway, yeah, that's awesome. You you that that's really yeah. cool. So that's you know, awesome. like, why, why are you wearing that hat, by the way? Oh, you always ask me this, uh, Professor Thurman. Well, not you always. always. Ask me one, one time previously. <laughs> well, the one previous time. So two times always by That's my right. by my okay. count. Fair enough. It's just it's just for my it's just for my sloppy COVID hair. It just makes it a little bit more simple. Because <laughs> you know uh, we're well, going to be on nice camera, hat, so I thought it's yeah, like a vacation right. hat. You know, it's like a vacation hat. Well, Talking with That's you is like good. a vacation for me, Professor Thurman. This is That's a vacation. Good. I like Eric, that. Eric is <laughs> having fun. The Buddha, the Buddha was what they call a shramana. And Shramana oh, really? is like someone who goes to an ashram, that means, you know, like a place oh. to rest. So it has the shram means to seek something and to, to seek rest and peace. So people translate it as ascetic because they think, oh, oh, gee, he left his palace and his harem and his wife, et cetera. So he's really, really depriving himself. And of course, he did in his own history first, he did spend time as an ascetic. But I translate Shramana as vacationer. Oh. <laughs> That's what it means. Someone who's going on a vacation. And we all need that. And, uh, and, uh, and we all need to have more fun, have a vacation. And we need to run our societies in such a way that people have more vacation and they don't feel stressed out. And they, you know, like I have a plan for Joe Manchin's West Virginia. Oh, so I, first okay. of all, I want them all to read Wisdom is Bliss. It's a good Very idea right there. Study. Starting with Joe himself, I will go down there and I hope he'll invite me on his boat. And he lives on a boat there in the Potomac. And do I you have a, do you have a, it, give him a copy of the book and hopefully he'll read it. Just and tell him that you have some opinion. some opportunity for, for him to make some kind of weird corporate wheeler dealing and then just surprise him with the book, Professor Thurman. Yeah. Yeah. He'll invite you down yeah, if you say that. No, I have a corporate plan for him. Oh. The corporate plan is that he will make West Virginia into the Switzerland of the East Coast and all the hard driving, stressed out cities where people can go and, the, and, the, and they'll shut down all the coal mines where nobody wants to go digging in the dirt there and get all black faced and get lung diseases and God knows what. And, and, uh, you know, and all the coal mining families will be given jobs to plant the most magnificent garden uh-huh. everywhere, shutting down those mines, cleaning up all the polluted you know, streams and everything few billion or 30, 20, 30 billion for that. And then billions more to build the fabulous sanatoria, spas, massage parlors, fabulous, beautiful, you know, athletic training, yoga centers, whatever is needed. And they'll all be, it'll be the big mansion. Mansion will be this patron saint of the happiness industry that will be based in West Virginia. And everyone goes up from DC they only work four day weeks, you know, because there's not much to do because everybody's pretty content in the whole country. Everybody leaves all the workshops and the factories and things and they get a four hour, three hours so they can employ more people. They have three hour work days, work weeks, three day work weeks. And they go up to West Virginia and they drop money, you know, and, and all the West Virginians become massage therapists and healers and psychiatrists and, and the yogis and yoginis. And it, oh, it's going to be great. It's like the yeah, mansion. I, I, to, I need access. I need to see him. If you know Joe, I well, as long as there's a, a a kickback for him and his daughter, you can get the mansion. Well, the mansion is the whole state of West Virginia <laughs> as a paradise. Yeah. Yeah. So make it into a really happy place, yeah. really wealthy, happy, flourishing, and a beacon like the Tibet of the East Coast, of the Switzerland yeah. of the East yeah. Coast. You know, it's a mountainous region. They put the tops back on the mountains, you know, that they <laughs> shaved off for coal and make it nice, but have like put football pitches up there, you know, and, and play ladies field hockey. <laughs> and his daughter can be the coach, you know, 
No, he really have a happy time. What, what does he want to be like a democratic senator, a pseudo democratic senator in yeah. name only in a, in a Republican crazed state because of the poverty and the fact, fact that that industry is over because of the global overheating and so on. And what's the point? He's 73 years old. He, it's time to retire and have a happy time. Yeah. Meanwhile, be, be, the, be the person who brought the goods back to his people. Well, I guess like Moses, Moses, he's the Mo, he'll be the Moses of what's <laughs> doubling back, I guess, on the uh, happy time, Professor Thurman. So, what? uh, do, just what? doubling back on, on the happy time. Uh, yes. The other part that hit me when you were talking about fun, <laughs> yes. pulling it all together, was uh, sort of this tantra question. Uh, what I feel like there might be a resistance in some people, you yes. know, it, to fun <laughs> would be like, I think when they think of Buddhism. They, they're worried, like almost what your friend was saying with the Vaseline or something, that their life on the path level won't be full. You know, you yes. won't have a full and rich life. And I was just, you know, for me, I, I, I might have wrestled with this question a little bit personally, too. Can you have a, a Buddhist life that's full and rich? I don't know yeah. what you think about him. I happen to like the Japanese poet Iku. Oh, yeah. I love Iku. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he's really talking about you know, a spiritual path, there's serious poems, but there's also poems yeah. that are about love. There's poems about sex that are yeah, pretty saucy. There's poems about drinking, but I had a couple of his verses, uh, you know, he's really talking about a full life. So he says something like, I was like an old leafless tree until we met. So he's writing about love. Green yes. buds burst out and blossom. Now that I have you, you'll, uh, I'll never forget what I owe you. That's one of his love poems. So he's talking That's about true. a rich full life yeah. he has another one about his daughter where he says watching my four-year-old daughter dance i cannot break free of her and every oh, parent has had those feelings so yeah I, I i know what you think about that but i mean obviously you've lived a full life yourself i think there's this concern of people that a buddhist path or a spiritual path will mean that you'll have to be you know you won't get a full life and i i think that's a concern well, for americans is that something you see too correct that's yeah why i'm saying super education mega fun, super fun. And, you know, like Zen, like you, you, you said you had fun doing Zen yeah. and you did. And you, because you could drop out all of the different things and you, you could watch the little, the, 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 the ice forming on the little outdoor stream and you could shiver in a cold shower at four in the morning before you had to meditate and et cetera. And then, if you slumped in when you're meditating there, let me say, whacked you with a stick and you had a sting True. on the back and you had a sting on the back and it made you zoom, zap, zap you right up. And it's, 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 it's exciting. Did you ever see the movie Enlightenment Guaranteed? Oh, no, no, I think I've ever seen that. No. no. You should see that. It's actually in German with subtitles. Erleuchten oh. Garantiert. And it's about these two brothers who go to try to find a Zen center in Japan. Actually, one of them are, tries to do that. The other one is just screws up his marriage and his business and everything, and then runs after his brother. So they both end up there. They lose their passports. They have all these terrible things, and then they finally find the Zen center. And then they're, then they're doing all the, the they thought they would just meditate, but they have all these rituals and oh, they have yeah. to rush out and they wash themselves in a cold stream outside and they sweep and they do all, and they really get into it. And it's total fun. It's so fun. And they end up in a tent. They leave the Zen Center front. They end up in a. I won't say what happens, but because you might want, you really enjoy it. It's. I mean, it's such a fun movie. Talk about fun, and it shows how much fun the Zen people have, you know, with all their little bells and ding 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 and walking this way and bringing that or they're eating. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's a German one, but oh, it's just you'll love it. You really will. You really so like How it. did that work so, out for you? So so my point yeah. is yes, people. The problem is the reason they they may think that Buddhism will make them not have a full life is only that they're not having a full life anyway. Mm. You know, they're they're even the ones who you know say they're bo actually being born well, very wealthy is a real hardship. It, you know, I almost know I don't know anyone who was born with a silver spoon who wasn't pretty miserable actually. Occasionally, they would kind of, well, yeah, well, I'm going to buy this for that, and they're going to go someplace. But basically, then they're never satisfied with whatever it is. And they always, I knew one person who would get on a plane in the first class, 
but think there was a better seat somewhere else in the first class and then call the person and say, do you know who I am? And try to rebook the seat and switch with someone else in the first class because the someone they're in was not what they thought was the best one, et cetera, not content in that seat, you know? And uh, the whole, whole life was like that kind of. They're almost getting like better, getting better now. Human so, beings stuck so in that jealous is, God mode correct the idea a, that Buddhism is a religion that you have to convert to to get anything out of it. And B, and, and you know, the Dalai Lama, if he's the most major figure in world Buddhism, which I sort of everyone would sort of say, not that he's the head of everything because they don't have heads like that. And he doesn't want to be, and people don't need him to be. But in one way, he's kind of like the world leader of Buddhism because he's made it known to so many people in a good way. And um, he doesn't want them to be Buddhists. He wants people to be whatever their grandmother is, but he wants them to do it in a lighter way. He wants them to be happy and kind and enjoy themselves and make help others enjoy themselves and, and be transformed. You know, he calls, he has a center that one of um, a monk who is a, a devotee of his founded at MIT called the Dalai Lama Center for, for Ethics and Transformative Values. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want Buddhists. It's not a center for Buddhists. You know? It's just, you know, like be whatever, but, but don't be miserable and don't make others miserable. That's his main thing. And that's what, that's, what, that's what Buddha wanted for people. And he was successful about it, actually, in his own country. And I think worldwide, he, he's still, his force is still glows. He's still present from a Buddhist point of view. He didn't just disappear. He's not like the Lone Ranger. Who was that masked man? Where did he go? No, he's got one bad guy, but more bad guys will come. No, he's he left that body to give a teaching because he didn't want to keep that body after a certain time, but he's present. And many, many such beings are present helping him. And you know, Westerners are beginning, Protestant Westerners who were deprived of all kind of lushness in life, you know, because I was associated with the papists, you know, mm. like a bright red robe and a and a and a really all enveloping ritual thanks for tuning in to today's episode with professor robert thurman titled ctfu be sure to be on the lookout for the second half of our conversation coming out very soon for eric this is daniel we'll catch you in the next one peace I want you to get together. I want you to get together. Put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.